Well, good morning, church. Happy Thanksgiving. Grateful that you are here this Sunday after Thanksgiving to be able to worship the Lord as only He is due together with one another. Uh, let's open the Word of the Lord as we do every Sunday morning to hear from Him and to seek Him in His Word. We're going to look at Romans chapter 7, one final week, and then uh, push pause on the, our study in the book of Romans to consider uh, Advent and Christmas, and we have a special treat this year to be able to focus on Christ and His incarnation this Christmas with um, Graham's uh, album of the Christmas music that he's been leading us in the past five years in the devotional, so we'll share that with you in a bit. I'm going to read Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 7 through the end of the chapter, if you'll read with me. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to recognize how great a deliverance each and every one of us needs from sin? Would you help us to see how great a deliverer we have in Jesus Christ, who alone can pull us from sin and death? God, I pray that we would recognize the wretch that we are and the Savior that Christ is this morning afresh and maybe for the first time, that we would put our faith and trust in Him alone and walk in obedience and follow Him all the days of our life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this text concludes a two-chapter logical argument of Paul bringing up questions that I think he's probably heard before at different times and in different places and is bringing them to mind in his writing of the book of Romans, the letter of Romans to the the church uh, in Rome. And and he starts this back in chapter 6, what shall we say then? Uh, And he has this framework that he continues to bring it up. Chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 13. And here again in chapter 7, verse 7. And again in chapter 7, verse 13. He brings up this framework of what shall we say? Then he proposes a question that people have had and do have in response to this gospel of good news of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. And and then he responds to that question because the obvious answer is always no with something like, by no means. And then he brings up some knowledge that he knows they have and he has that they need to remember in that moment. And, And so Paul has been doing this and he does this again in our uh, final section of, of this, this argument going on in chapter 6 through 7, all leading us to, to chapter 8. And chapter 8 is the pinnacle of this whole first uh, section of Romans, Romans 1 through 11, but you'll just have to wait till next year because we're going to push pause at the end of chapter 7 and you're going to have to wait till we get to the, the mountain the mountaintop next. <laughs> Some of you are like, come on, give me a break. Let's, let's just go. Let's go for it. I wanted to go for it myself. I want to jump right in there, but we've got some good uh, truths to remind us of this Christmas. But we'll have to push pause for chapter 8. Uh, so uh, let's look at this together. A um, couple things um, that, I, that we need to remember um, coming uh, out of chapter 7 Uh, specifically 7 through the end of the chapter. And the first one is this, that the law reveals, provokes, and condemns sin. The law reveals, provokes, and condemns sin. Uh, 
At the end of this chapter, you, you probably heard as, as I paused in the reading of it, uh, that we, that Paul asked the, the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? Uh, I imagine you, like myself, have probably prayed for deliverance from a host of different things. Um, sickness, um, a work situation, a financial situation. Um, if you just read through, uh, even just type in deliverer into the search bar of whatever Bible software you use and just read through the, the verses that have the, the word deliverer or deliver in them, you're going to see even God's people from Genesis all the way to Revelation praying for deliverance. God, deliver me from my brother Esau. Um, God, deliver us from these taskmasters in Egypt. God, deliver me from these enemies. God, deliver me from this situation. Deliver us from this hunger. Deliver us from this thirst. Deliver us, deliver us, del- deliver us. And, and those are physical, tangible um, things that we need deliverance from. And you've, you've got them. And you may have not prayed for deliverance from the same thing that I've prayed for deliverance from, but we've all prayed for deliverance from some sort of physical, tangible um, situation. You may have prayed that deliverance from Thanksgiving um, this past week. Um, But there is something more than physical, tangible um, brokenness and and hurt and, uh, and deliverance from those things. We need deliverance spiritually. We need deliverance eternally. There is a situation in our hearts that we need deliverance from more than any other situation that we will face. And this passage brings that to bear because it is the law that reveals, provokes, and condemns sin in our life. Uh, These questions that Paul has been bringing up are response to the gospel of good news of this salvation by grace through faith. And he asked the question originally, shall I continue in sin if we're saved by grace, not by works? Can I just keep doing some of the bad things that I've been doing? To which Paul says, by no means. How can you continue in that which you have been delivered from? Uh, Or now he's asking this question, is the law then, uh, is the law sin? Um, By no means. He's saying, is the law then the bad thing? Is the law that which has done this evil inside of me? Is the law to blame for the situation that I'm in? To which Paul says, absolutely not. Paul says that the law is not to blame. The law had its place and has its place, um, but it's not to blame. At the same time, the law is unable to do for us what we want it to do. And so let's look Let's look at this together in in verse 7 again. 
And we'll see this played out. The, the law reveals, provokes, and condemns. What shall we say then? In verse 7, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And there's that phrase that Paul brings up every time he brings up one of these questions. Do you not know? Do you not know? Or here, I would not have known. I would not have known sin unless the law was made known to me. And so in that sense, the law has done something good for Paul. It's done something good for us as well. It's revealed sin. These thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do this has proved to us and revealed to us in our own lives that we actually have done those things we shall not have done and we haven't done those things that we should have done. The law is, is good in the sense that it reveals our sin, he says. He explains, he says, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So not only did the law reveal sin, but it provoked sin in him. It produced more sin in him. Paul says that if it had not been for the law, specifically speaking of the Ten Commandments, he would not have known what it is to covet. Quoting here from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, the Tenth Commandment by which our family illustrates it like this. Number 10, do not covet. Uh, we shall not want those things that are not our own. And, and you wonder, why, why covetousness? Um, if you know the history of Paul, you know he's a righteous fella. He himself says, uh, I'm more righteous than most, blameless even at times. And probably according to the law, he had done one through nine pretty well. For one through nine are pretty external sins. But once you get to number 10, covetousness, uh, an issue that's very clearly and plainly of the heart, this commandment revealed to Paul, he was actually no better than anyone else. He actually had sinfulness deep in his heart. He knew of his coveting like no one else did. And as the Bible explains, specifically in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, that covetousness is actually idolatry. So when he gets to number 10 of the Ten Commandments in the law, it reveals the sin that's in the depths of his heart, even though on the surface he looks pretty good. He knows in the depths of his heart he's actually sinful. He's actually broken the law. And he, and he knows, and he goes on to write in Ephesians, in Colossians, that that covetousness in his heart is actually idolatry, which was a breaking of the first and the second. And so he sees this 
cycle of sin going in him, this depth of sin that goes in him. And yet, even though he knows that the law says do not covet, the fact that it says do not covet is tempting him to covet. Just like you see the speed limit sign and and says 40 miles an hour and be like, I can go 41. Who's going to stop me? I, I can do that. Or you shall not do this. I remember I was reading an example in a commentary this week of grass in a park that the sign said, do not get on the grass, and people were all over the grass. Well, I went to a university that had a rule, do not get on the grass, and there would be respectful people of this grass, but then there would always be those, you know, guests that would be like, oh yeah, I touched the grass, what are you going to do? Or, you know, roommates who would probably do the same thing, being a joking manner. So we see these laws, and yet in that law, it actually provokes us to sin even more. Your parents, kids, tell you, do not do this. And all of a sudden, there is a desire in you to do that very same thing. Don't hit. I want to hit. Don't say that like that. I'm going to say it like I want to say it. We just have these things. This is what the law does in us. It reveals sin. It actually provokes sin, but it also condemns sin. It condemns sin. Look in verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I, what's the word? Died. I died. I was condemned. I was condemned to the very thing that God said would happen to Adam if he ate from the tree. Thou shalt not eat from this tree. And what did he do? He ate. And when he ate, he died. And when we sin, we die. The very commandment in verse 10, it says, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. This comes from Leviticus, where in Leviticus it, it would say that, um, that those who do these things shall live by these things. And throughout the Old Testament, it, it said that those who obey these commandments shall live by these commandments. If you could perfectly live by them, you would enjoy eternal life with them. That was promised to Adam. It was promised to all who follow. But there again, the law proves that we couldn't live according to them perfectly. That it actually reveals our sin in us and provokes even more sin in us. It's important for us to even just pause at at this point because in verse 9, Uh, And and throughout this section, but in verse 9, he is emphatically saying, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came in, sin came alive and I died. Up to this point, in chapter 6 and 7, he's been using the pronoun you. You, 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 speaking to them. But here Paul kind of switches gears for a moment and he goes personal and he, he says, I. This is true 
or really in this section, this was true of me. And what he's saying there, I think, is in this autobiographical section is before coming to faith in Christ, before being saved by God, by grace, through faith, he was these things. He was dead in his sins and trespasses. And I think Paul is sharing his own story because it's representative of all people's stories, that we too, the the law reveals our sin. It provokes sin in us. It condemns uh, the sin in us. It shows that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, deserving of God's wrath, deserving of God's punishment. And so Paul is using the pronoun I, speaking about himself, but also he's using past tense uh, in, in this section, in 7 through verse 12. He's using past tense to show that this is describing his former life. And he would go on to describe that former life, In verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Verse 11, for sin, and here again is the same phrase that he used in verse 8, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. And so sin, twice mentioned having seized every opportunity, it produces and provokes more sin in him, specifically covetousness, which is idolatry. It deceives him, and it kills him. And so if the law reveals, provokes, and condemns sin, we need to also remember at the same time that sin deceives, covets, and kills. That's the second thing I I think we ought to note in this paragraph that Paul is trying to get across to us that the law is, uh, is helpful. It reveals sin. And, and in its revealing of sin, it, it provokes sin, our sinful nature, and revealing to us our depravity. And it also condemns sin. But, sin, but the law is not to blame. It is sin which seizes every opportunity to deceive us, to lead us to more and more sin, specifically, Paul says, coveting, and it kills us. Uh, That phrase jumped out at me first because it was just repeated twice, and that was simple enough to, um, to notice in several readings of the text. But in studying more and more, um, the language of that repeated phrase, I learned that the, the Greek word for opportunity is a forme, which describes a military outpost and launching point for attack. And that's what sin has. It, it seizes every outpost and every launching point to attack. It, it's kind of like a, a diving board to spring one forward as high as possible to be able to, uh, to enjoy those moments in the pool. But here, this is sin. Launching, springing um, out to be able to seize every opportunity for sin. And, and so, if 
the law reveals and provokes and condemns sin, we need to also remember that it's sin itself that deceives. It's not the law. It's the sinful nature that we have that deceives us, tricks us, and seizes every opportunity to sin all the more, covet all the more, uh, worship idolatry all the more, and ends up killing us. It's not the law's fault, it's sin's fault. And so Paul summarizes in verse 12, so the law is holy. The commandment, the commandment that thou shalt not covet, and all the commandments is holy and righteous and good. We need to note that as well, that the law reveals, provokes, and condemns sin, but sin deceives, covets, and kills. Therefore, it's not the law that's bad. No, the law, Paul says, is holy and righteous and good. This is what we know to be true from passages like Psalm 19. Or the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, where the psalmist in both of those places cannot find enough good things to say about the law and and how good and holy and righteous and pure and trustworthy it is. This is where Paul gets this from. He's come to this logical conclusion then. So therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and, the, and righteous, and good. Remember the question in verse 7. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means, Paul says. The law is holy. The commandments are holy, and righteous, and good. But there's a problem with the law. The law may be holy. The law... And the commandments may be holy and righteous and good. But note this, that the law cannot make us holy, righteous, and good. The law is itself holy and righteous and good. But the law cannot make you holy and righteous and good. Paul makes this abundantly clear in in the rest of this chapter in chapter 7, verse 13 and following, he brings up another question uh, that he had heard before and that he believes the Romans might have. Verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? Did that which is good, the law, then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, that is the law. In order, why? Why why did sin produce death in me through the law? In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. To some Sum it up. Sin is sin and sinful beyond measure. Paul wants us to know. And there's no escaping it. 
sin is, sin and death are, are the things that all people need to be delivered of more than any physical, tangible need we have here on this earth. Sin is the thing that all people need to be delivered from, whether they're whether you're here this morning, whether you're out and among our community, whether they're around the world worshiping other religions and false gods and false idols, this is what we need deliverance from, first and foremost, sin. And the law is unable to deliver us from sin. The law is unable to make us holy. The law is unable to deliver us and make us righteous or to make us good. Now we'll notice here Paul uses the same personal pronoun I speaking about himself, but now he moves from past tense to present tense. And this is a, an area of great discussion uh, with lots and lots of writing of who is Paul referring to? And after uh, the reading that I did, the, the place where I would land is to believe that Paul is describing both his past pre-conversion self and here his himself post-conversion after God saved him, when he is growing in Christ-likeness, when he's growing to become more and more sanctified, when he's learning to live less and less according to the flesh, and more and more according to the Spirit, which is where chapter 8 leads us next year. Paul is, is fighting that balance, learning to live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And there's this war that's going on between him. Again, after the question in verse 13, after the Response, by no means, Paul says, like he has in the past, for we know. Now he includes himself, where earlier he would say, do you not know? But now he says, including himself with all of them, for we know, or you should know, that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, showing the difference here, that the, the, the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, and there's this battle going on between the spiritual and the flesh. The tangible right here, right now, and the spiritual, the other realm and the eternal. Verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. That ever happened to you? You see, I think it's, it's Paul describing his post-conversion nature here where he longs to do what is right for the Lord. Nobody truly longs to do what is right for the Lord unless they've been saved by God. And yet Paul says... That's what's happened to me. And yet, I'm still being dragged down by this flesh, this sinful flesh that I have. And, and the law is revealing, again, 
It's revealing my sin. It's provoking my sin. It's condemning me to death again and again and again. Again, we've all been there and done that. Verse 16, he goes on, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. It's good because it reveals the sin. It, it, it condemns sin. Going on though, in verse 17, he says, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 18, again, For I know, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. He made that abundantly clear in Romans chapter 3, that no one does good, no one is righteous, no one seeks God, no one loves God. That's not a, a part of our, our first nature. He says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You see, the, not only... We're, we find ourselves in this state of needing deliverance, of needing salvation, of needing help. And the law proves that even it cannot help us. Even it cannot deliver us. Just having a set of rules, we, we think it's that simple. God, if you just tell me what to do, then I'd do it. It's not that simple. It takes trust. It takes walking by faith. It takes walking in obedience and doing the hard thing. Not the thing that our flesh wants to do, but the thing that the Spirit is leading us to do. Paul says, I, I do not do the good I want in verse 19, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. In verse 20, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul is trying to picture himself in this deep, dark well, trapped in, in the inner, darkest, most cave um, that's called sin. As a family, we were reading in, in, in the Bible, even last night, Daniel thrown to the lion's den. Well, Paul's lion's den, the, even worse than the lion's, is the lion of sin and death, he's saying. We need to be delivered from this. I can't deliver myself, Paul says. The law has yet uh, can't deliver me. I need a deliverance from someone else. In verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. There's this war going on. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." He describes himself like the psalmist describes the, the man in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, who delights in the law of the Lord. The truth be told of, of Psalm 1, that psalm doesn't describe any of us. It only describes Christ, the Son of God, 
He alone who perfectly delights in the law. And, and only through faith in Christ might we too delight in the law. And so Paul, having been saved by God, having been converted to faith in Christ, he has these new delights, these new things that give him joy and pleasure. And yet he's also got this body of sin that is waging war against him. These temptations of the old ways, these old habits even, of doing things this way. And yet, he has these new desires to honor and glorify God, to delight in the Word of God, to follow the law of God. He wants to do those things. He knows, according to the Old Testament, that those who do them shall live by them, that there is blessing in obeying the law of God, but he also knows that the law of God on its own cannot deliver him. Paul knows that he himself, as good as he might follow those laws, cannot deliver himself. He knows that he has ultimately been saved by God and delivered by God, but even after his conversion to Christ, there is a war going on. Maybe to use the illustration of a larger war and smaller battles. The war has been won, but there's battles that are continually being fought day in and day out. And this is where Paul is getting to the point that we'll see later in, in chapter 8 that we need Christ we need His Spirit whom He gives to all who have repented and believed in Him and have been saved. Paul is pointing out that while the law is holy and righteous and good, it cannot make us holy and righteous and good. That the law is spiritual, but we have this flesh that is battling against it. That the law is good, but we have no good in us. And the law is delightful, but there are these other delights that are going on in my flesh. We, we need someone to deliver us who's both spiritual and of the flesh who is good in and of themselves and has proven themselves to be good according to the law, who is not only delighted in the law of the Lord, but is himself delightful. And this is why Paul gets to the end of this entire argument in chapter 7, verse 24, and all he can say is, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me? And you can picture him at the bottom of that well, unable to escape himself in the back of the depths of the darkest cave of, of sin and death, unable to get out himself. In the depravity of sin, unable to make himself holy, unable to make himself righteous, unable to make himself good, before the Lord. And he describes himself as a wretch. Wretched man 
that I am, Paul says. And I think any true believer in Christ can say that very thing. Remembering what we have just learned about the law and about ourselves, we too can say, wretched man or wretched woman that I am. When we've looked at who God is again, when we've seen how low we have fallen short of the Lord, this is kind of one of those moments where we've read in other places in our Bible this, woe is me. Woe is me. What am I to do? Wretched man that I am, who, am, or, or who will deliver me from this body of death? The law hasn't done it. I can't do it. Works haven't been able to do it for me. Who will do this for me? To which he responds in, in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only Jesus. Who will deliver us? Only Jesus, Paul says. The, the law proved unable to deliver Israel from their sin. It proved unable to make them holy and righteous and good, even though it in and of itself was holy and righteous and good. We needed someone who was both spiritual and flesh. Jesus Christ, the God-man. Someone who not only delivered the law, but was able to obey the law perfectly. Someone who found their greatest delight in the law of the Lord and who in and of themselves is delightful. Thanks be to God. I told us last week that there was reason to be thankful uh, from chapter 6, verse 17, before Thanksgiving, where, where Paul says, But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you, have, to which you were committed. Thanks be to God that God s- transferred us from being slaves of sin to being slaves of God. There's much to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. Well, now Paul adds on top of that. Thanks be to God that we can be delivered from the body of sin and death. Thanks to God through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can save us from our sin. Only Jesus can deliver us. Only Jesus who perfectly obeyed the law. Only Jesus who, as God and man, died on the cross for our sins. Only Jesus who, though buried in the tomb for three days, rose victorious over, the Bible says, sin and death to enjoy life. And not only 40 days of life on the earth, but eternal life in heaven with God. Only Jesus will be able to ultimately deliver us from sin on that day when we stand before God. This is why Paul would go on to write to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 56 and 57, he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin 
is the law. Again, it's the law that reveals our sin. And when our sin is revealed, it stings because we know that the condemnation for our sin is death. But there Paul also gives thanks. But thanks be to God who gives us victory. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory and deliverance from being a wretch. Through whom? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have much to be thankful for. Though we need deliverance from a host of different things in this life, we need deliverance from sin and death um, to be with God forever in the next life more than anything we need on this earth. And if you've recognized that before this morning, and you know that you could tell a story like Paul's, saying that I once lived according to the flesh, and the law proved that I was a sinner. Um, And even I still have this battle going on between me, between the flesh and the Spirit. We're reminded this morning of who God is. We're reminded this morning of the law of God that has, in God's grace, revealed our sin to us. Because before we knew that, we felt we were good to go. Paul says we were alive in one sense. But we come again remembering what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me on this side? But in the very next sentence, we say, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who has delivered me through his death and his resurrection. And we walk forward in faith again. We stand up to face that battle that's going to come later this, this afternoon or this, this evening. We come ready with the Spirit, whom we'll learn about it more in chapter 8 and what it looks like, even being reminded at the end of chapter 7 how desperate we are for Christ and His Spirit who dwells in us. To be able to not give in to that covetousness that we're going to have later this afternoon or later on this year, when we see people that have things that we don't, don't have, um, or we see something in someone that we know we don't have, we're reminded again of the truth, which is why Paul has repeatedly said, do you not know? Do you not know? And here in this passage, he's come back and said, for we know, Christian, we know the truth. We need to gospel ourselves again this week. We need to remind ourselves again what Christmas is all about, looking forward, why Christ came in the first place. We need to gospel ourselves so that we would walk in obedience, in faith, which is why Paul goes on the end of verse 25. So then I myself, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin, which is why all the more we need to renew our minds 
serve the Lord with the help of the Spirit in obedience to Him rather than in the flesh, living in the flesh and serving the law of sin. But maybe you've come here and you would agree with me that though that you've cried out for deliverance from a host of different things, family situation, work situation, financial situation, health situation, whatever it may be. But maybe this morning you realize that your eternal state is even more dire than your physical state, that your eternal state is even more drastic than your temporal state here on this earth. And you've recognized, though you've called out for deliverance from all of these other things, you, once and for all, need to cry out for deliverance from your sins. To cry out to God for deliverance from the death that was awaiting all of us because of our sin. And this morning... You too would say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And you, for the very first time, could say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because you, between you and the Lord, repent of your sins and believe in Christ and know that even that response to the Lord is a sign of his grace in your life a sign of his mercy in your life. Respond. Acknowledging like Paul did what a wretch you are before the Lord and how the one who delivered the law is holy and righteous and good and how those two don't go together but through a mediator who makes a way for unholy, unrighteous, not good, sinful me to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. I encourage you this morning to be able to echo those words of Paul, whether you're putting your faith and trust in Christ for the first time or whether you have put your faith and trust in the Lord, and that you would spend this Christmas Not only remembering Christ coming into the world as a child, but you would do some homework for 2022 in getting ready for our continued series in Romans and read and memorize chapter 8 of the book of Romans, that we would live in accordance with the Spirit and that we would find the greatest life here on this earth and eternal life awaiting for us in heaven when we do so. Let's pray. Father, help us, even just this morning, God, would you give us an eternal mindset, an eternal vision, eternal ears for just a moment, God, that we would not see this life just as this life with these needs, with these physical circumstances, but we would see things through your eyes, through the eyes of eternity, 
through the eyes of the spiritual realm and realize as great of needs that we might have in this life, our eternal and spiritual need is far greater. And that need has been met in Christ. And so God, with a provoking by your word to consider our eternal state once more, I pray that you would encourage Christians of their assurance of salvation, not because of the law, not because of their life, but because of Christ and only Christ. May that spur them on ahead to not live according to the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit, knowing that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God, I pray with that glimpse of eternity in our eyes, in our heart, in our mind, in our ears, that you would cause some this morning to realize for the first time that their eternal state is worse than they ever could have imagined. And in realizing that, they might call upon Jesus Christ to deliver them. God, I pray that some, even this morning, would be plucked from the well and the cave of sin and death to be able to enjoy the light and life of Jesus Christ. And that they, like many of us, would have more thanks to be given than ever before. And so, God, let us rejoice. Let us be thankful. Let us worship and honor and glorify you because you alone have delivered us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we give you thanks and praise as we sing and worship you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.